This morning we continue our sermon series on questions that Christians ask with the question, what happens when we die? And we hear from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Thessalonica. It's his first letter, one of the earliest pieces of literature we have in the New Testament. And this is what he writes in 1 Thessalonians. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with the cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I began the year 2023 with six weeks of study leave and one week of vacation. The study leave was graciously granted so that I could finally begin working on a book that I'd been sort of mulling over for a couple of years now. The vacation was a week in Cancun on the beach with one of those drinks that has salt on the rim and my Kindle downloaded with novels. I, I actually had a couple of them I was ready to read, but then just before we left, a friend recommended a novel that turned out to be incredibly meaningful. It's hard to imagine just how much this meant to me at the time. It's by Chloe Benjamin. I'd never heard of her, but the novel's called The Immortalists. It's set in 1969. Men are walking on the moon. Hippies are getting stoned at Woodstock. But this happens in Manhattan, the Lower East Side. There's this family, the, the Gold family, and there are four adolescent kids who are largely unsupervised in the summers. And one of them hears that a psychic has moved into the neighborhood. This woman can't just read your palm and tell you your fortune. She can name the month and the day and the year you will die. And she's spot on. The novel follows these four kids through their lives. It raises all sorts of questions. Like if one of your siblings said, hey, I got an adventure for us, would you go? Would you ask the woman to tell you? And if she did, how would you live? What would you do? This series of questions Christians ask has included things like, where do we find hope in a broken world? Or last week, why did Jesus die? Well, related to that is the question, what happens when we die? The answer might surprise you. Let me explain. Years ago, I remember the day I was leaving the seminary. I turned on National Public Radio in the car, and for three days in a row, they were having religious scholars on to answer the question, what does your tradition believe about life after death? There was a Jewish scholar, a Muslim Islamic scholar, and a Christian scholar. I do not remember anything the Muslim or the Christian said. 
nothing. But I will never forget what the Jewish scholar said. His name was Rabbi Joseph Telushkin. And on his day, when asked the question, he said, those who know aren't talking. And those who are talking don't know. And the interviewer and he both chuckled, and I chuckled in the car, and then Telushkin kept talking. And I laughed out loud because he just told us that anybody who's talking about this does not know. But he proceeded to talk. Well, guess what? I'm going to proceed to talk. I mean, I could sit down and say I don't know. But the fact is, clergy are always talking about things we don't know. They're called the mysteries of the faith. We don't have clear answers, but we have some hints. And here's where the real surprise comes in. If you grew up in a faith tradition that sort of saw the, saw the Bible as being dictated by God and thus every author and every book in the Bible would agree with each other, well, you're in for surprise. Because the writers of the Bible are included in the list of people who don't know. They don't know. They're wrestling with it. Let me just give you an example, a couple of examples. Early on in the Bible, in that first testament, it looks like their view is that the dead live on in the naming by those who are living. You know how they'll say the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's how the dead live on. They live on in the memories of those who are still alive. They, they call their names out. But there's no notion early on that the dead somehow still exist. Later in the First Testament, Book of Psalms, other places, they come up with this name. They, they call it Sheol. It's the place of the dead, of, of nothingness. They don't know what happens there, but they at least start to think maybe there's a place. It's not until really, really late in the First Testament, like 200 years before the time of Jesus, that they start to hint at resurrection. It's just a little hint in the book of Daniel that maybe, maybe after we die, we come back to life. So it's no surprise then that when you open the New Testament and you open to the Gospels, that there are some, like the Pharisees, who believe in resurrection, and others, like the Sadducees, who, no, I don't, I don't think so. These are the options when Paul comes on the scene. And Paul was a Pharisee. So he subscribes to the notion of resurrection. And when he writes his very first letter, the very earliest document we have, he says, well, here's how I see it. And you heard it. He starts with really wise counsel. He says, I don't want you to grieve with no hope. He knows we're going to grieve. It hurts to lose someone, but he wants us to have hope. And then he has this kind of clever play on words. It, it works sort of in the English. It certainly worked back in their day. You know how sometimes someone will talk about being snatched up by death. Well, Paul has a different image. Instead of snatched up by death, he says, the dead are going to be snatched up by God. And then those of us who are alive, if we're still alive at the end of time, we'll be snatched up as well and we'll all be together there and live with the Lord forever. Which sounds like great comfort, but... You do hear it, right? The dead in Christ have not yet been snatched up. Well, where are they? Are they in some kind of intermediate state awaiting the end of time when God will raise? Where are they? 
Paul doesn't know. In fact, if you flip through all of his letters and you get to the ones he wrote near the end of his life when he's in prison and about to die, well, then he says, I, I think when we die, we, we go right then to be with God, and that's what he wants to do. So how can, he, how can he do this? Well, because he doesn't know. He's trying to figure it out. I, I remember this story in seminary. I was not in this class, but this story circulated pretty fast. There was a professor, he was lecturing on the idea of eschatology. It's a famous, fa fancy way of saying end-of-time things, you know, the last things. So somebody in the class asked a question of the professor. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was what happens when we die. But the professor wisely said, I don't know. And then somebody shot their hand up, you know, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And they started into a speech, like, for a couple of minutes. And finally, the professor interrupted him and said, I think you misunderstood me. I didn't say you don't know. I said, I don't know. Paul doesn't know what happens when we die. But he knows some things. Of this, he is 100% confident, as am I. And that is first, that death, capital D death, will be swallowed up. He doesn't mean the fact that we all die, not those kind of deaths. He means the kind of death in which we realize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. For Paul, that would be the Roman Empire. For us, it would be this long list of things. I mean, it would be COVID with a capital C, millions dead. It would be a war in Ukraine with a capital W. It would be the economy with a capital E, where some do well and others can't even find food. For Paul, all these things, they have to be swallowed up. And the other thing he's confident in is that the resurrection of Jesus somehow gets applied to us. He doesn't know how, but the fact that God raised Jesus for Paul and all of the New Testament means we will be raised as well. It, it's not clear when, timing, how, what. It's just a given that Jesus raised from the dead means we will be too. So when I was on that beach and maybe two chapters into The Immortalists, my wife got a phone call that her sister, Connie, had died in her sleep, 57 years old. It is such an odd thing to be reading a book about knowing when you will die and to get that word. And we talked about that, and we sought the comfort of God. Because that's what we do in times like that. When I was writing this sermon, an email naming two deaths in our congregation, pending details on the funeral. And we could multiply these stories. We need God's comfort in the face of death. During my study leave, I ran across an essay I'd read years ago, but I'd forgotten about. It's... It's a collection of essays by a funeral director who's actually a brilliant writer and poet. And in the face of death, which is what he deals with constantly, he writes about life. In this one, he tells the story of burying Mrs. Robertson. She was survived by her adult son, Alistair, 
he retired early to take care of his ailing mom. And he sat in this big chair next to her bed on the day that while she was kind of napping, she passed away. And then Lynch goes on to tell the story about the day of the funeral. There were gospel words spoken in a church, and then they went to a cemetery, and a handful of dirt was thrown on a coffin. And when Lynch and Alistair started walking back toward the car, he asked, well, Tom, what's next? And Lynch writes, he wasn't quite sure which version of that question he was asking. Was he asking the, the small version, you know, like, okay, so now we go back to the house and have the tea and cake? Or, or, or was he asking the really big question, like, what's the eternal destiny of my mom who was a lifelong Presbyterian? And then Lynch thought, maybe, maybe he's really asking the medium-sized question, like, what happens to me next? What do I do? I mean, he was 55, he wasn't married, he had retired. What's next? This book that I've been working on, it really does bump into death. But there's two sides to that equation. There's the, what happens after we die? But there's the, how will we live before we die? In the novel, The Immortalists, Varya is the oldest. She's 13 when they go, and the woman rightly predicts that she will live the longest, well into her 80s. But she never really lives. She, she never really lives. I mean, she denies herself the pleasures of life. She's a scientist by training, and she subscribes to this theory that if you eat the bare minimum of calories, you'll live a long life. Well, yeah, but she doesn't eat. I mean, she doesn't enjoy food. So she decides near the end that if she had it to do over again, she wouldn't go see the psychic. But even if she did, she would live life. She would embrace it. She would, like when she hugged her sister Clara, she would smell her hair and enjoy it. Or her brother, her young brother, who when he came out gay and had a really hard life, she would hug him and take care of him. She even thinks, you know, if she had to do over again, she'd get married, start a family. What happens when we die? I have no clue. What happens before we die? That's a really good question. What will be your answer? <laughs>